Greetings, First Church of the Nazarene. It is another week that we have been in a, a different society with the COVID, uh, epidemic, COVID-19 epidemic with us. But we are still worshiping the Lord. We're still knowing that He is with us and present. During this season of Lent, we have been emphasizing prayer and fasting and tried to, during this time, their objective was then to have a time for reflection on what Jesus has done for us. And if you look at the, the bulletin under March 29, it says, fasting is about seeking God's face. So often we fast when we're seeking something from God. This is not wrong, but it is not the only reason to fast. Seeking God's face and His manifold presence during our time of fasting is what we're wanting to do during this Lent season. This week, I have been uh, meditating and during my fasting time and spending time with the Lord, I, I was trying to focus more on Jesus, but I found I couldn't just focus on Him alone. It was like, it was difficult to to not reflect upon his father or our father at the same time. The two are one. Whenever I would meditate on Jesus, like as a good shepherd, as it's saying in John, it seemed like Psalms 23, the good shepherd of the Lord, kept coming in as well. Again, the two are one. Many of us have someone in our lives who we're close to. <clears throat> I use this... Um, the word communion, and when I am talking to uh, medical residents or students who are not really too sure what that means, I tend to use this illustration that many of us have a, a soulmate, or not as, not as a, a partner, but a great friend who's like a kindred spirit, if we're going to use um, Anne's term, who you may have been away from and not in contact with for years, or sometimes even decades. But when you get together, it's like it was just there together yesterday. That is communion. And that is what Jesus and his Father were like. It's in a, we are unable to reflect solely on Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50 State this in another way, and I read from that. It's John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. The prayer of my life is not that they would see me as a good character or as a good physician or a good husband or a person of integrity, but that they would see Jesus. And Jesus says the same words, except he's saying, I don't want me to be seen. I want my heavenly Father to be seen. He then goes on and says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. For I have not spoken on my own authority, 
The Father who sent me has himself given me commandment what to say, what to do, and what to speak. And I know that his word or his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has bidden me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we lift up our hearts this moment, full of gratitude and overwhelming awe on who you are. You are the Good Shepherd who laid down your life for us. You do not, do not give us bread. You are the bread. You do not give us living water. You are the living water. You do not give us eternal life because you are the eternal life. You don't just give us wholeness as a gift, but you are the wholeness. You don't not just give us love as a concept, but you are the love. You do not give peace as the world gives peace, but you are the peace, dear Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that through your giving of the, on the cross at this time, we have that communion with your Father, same as you had when you ministered here on earth, dear Lord. We ask forgiveness for some of the ways we have thought and behaved or felt through this past week. We're so bent to do it our own way, from our own understanding, in our own strength, that we forget we are only branches on the vine, Jesus Christ. Make us aware of our complete dependence upon you, especially during these times of uncertainty in our lives when we're socially distancing and the jobs are on the hold. May our trust grow because of it. May our fears and anxieties diminish in front of it. Open our eyes to the needs of others around us, dear Lord. Help us to listen to your voice as you give us names of those you want us to contact, to listen to, to help, to encourage. You are a God who, when we are listening to, gives specific requests for specific needs at specific times. And we can trust you that you will do that for each and every one of us who are in this community of First Church, the Nazarene Calgary. Help us to obey these promptings as they are given. Lord, there are definite needs among us. We do have the list of prayer requests. And we, pray, do, we do pray for some of the specific needs at this moment in time. We continue to pray for baby Emmett, who in his recovery, as his surgery has taken place. We pray for those who are grieving deeply. And it's a different type of grief now with our social isolation. We pray for those who are still seeking for job, who are feeling the uncertainty of finances. 
We pray for the guidance that you would give to our leaders, our nation as they go about uh, bringing resources together and sharing them where the need may be. We pray for the heroes of those who are continuing to uh, keep the hospitals and the clinics open front line as they're exposing themselves to this COVID. Lord, put your hand of protection upon them and their families. Take away the fear as they go to work. We pray for our spiritual leaders as well, dear Lord. And we pray for each of the specific needs of those who are watching us now as we pray in our own houses or in the place of the office or wherever we're watching this right now at this moment, Lord. You know their hearts. May they just look to you. May they see that you are the one upon whom they can trust and rely and answers will come as you so desire because you have ordained what is necessary to make me the creature that is most Christ-like and of best use for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the peace you give. Thank you for the assurance of knowing that we can fellowship, we can commune so close that it is unbearable at times that tears of joy, tears of sorrow just come spontaneously from the depth of our heart. In Jesus' name we ask and pray this. Amen. Well, let me begin by thanking uh, David Falk for uh, his words of encouragement and uh, for the scripture that he read and for his prayer. Uh, this is now the third weekend that we've not been able to gather together for our worship service. And I'm already thinking of what it's going to be like when we come together again in this sanctuary, in this building, on this campus, and we're actually able to be together physically and not have to practice social distancing. I think that's going to be a great day of celebration because it's easy for us to sometimes take for granted uh, these gatherings that we have physically uh, until something like this happens with COVID-19. You know, we all look for mutual connection, but now we have to practice self-isolation. But I want to come back to this idea of gathering together for worship in a service of worship. Why do we call it a worship service? It's because when we gather together in a worship service, it's more than just a social gathering. Uh, it's a gathering that is intended for a specific focus, and that focus is to give praise and worship and adoration to our Father in heaven. It's really a gathering that is in the presence of the Lord Jesus himself, and we acknowledge his presence. But why is it then that some people can come into a worship service and, and they immediately feel drawn into the presence of God? They come into a place of worship immediately. They can sense that the Lord is here. And yet there's others that come in and they seem distracted or they, they seem detached. Um, they're just merely onlookers and they feel nothing at all. Well, it's because true worship is not just a matter of time, like Sunday mornings or, or a place like right here in, a, in what we call a church building. Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the kinds of worshipers 
the Father seeks. People who worship in spirit and in truth. Well, we are now in the season of Lent, and we've been calling you to a, a period of, of self-examination to, to rethink your priorities. But what I want you to think about this morning is the condition of your own heart before God. And we're going to look at a story today that's found in the Gospel of Mark, and it's one that many of you will recognize. And I just want to read this to you uh, just in part. It tells us at the beginning of Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now, Jesus was two days away from his trial and crucifixion. Uh, his enemies were beginning to surround him. But it says here that while he was in Bethany, he was reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And a woman came in, a woman that we know now, if you read the Gospel of John chapter 12, it was Mary of Bethany. She, she was the sister of Martha and the, the sister of Lazarus. And so Mary comes in with this alabaster jar of very expensive, priceless perfume made of pure nard, it says. And it says that she broke the jar and she poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Well, in John chapter 12, it tells us that she also poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. But it tells us that some of those present were saying to one another, and they were offended. They were indignant, it says. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And it says they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have the poor with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. And what Jesus meant by that is the poor will always be among us. But he was saying, I will not always be among you physically here on earth. He knew that the day would come when he would be crucified, rise from the dead, and then ascend to his Father in heaven. And so it tells us here that Jesus commended her. He said, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And so in a sense, what Mary did was prophetic. She, whether she knew that Jesus was going to die and rise from the dead, we don't know. She likely did. But she was preparing him for what was to come. And then he says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And today is a case in point because I am preaching this message today. But it tells us that Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So I want to ask you today, who are you in this story? You see, there were various characters that we read about in this story. There's Mary herself, the one who worships in a spirit of freedom, 
who worships in a spirit of truth. Um, are you like Mary? When you come together and gather with God's people, do you worship from the heart? Or are you merely one of the onlookers, the casual followers who were guests there, who just observe what is happening in a detached sort of a way? Or perhaps you're like Judas and the chief priests and the teachers of the law who were quick to find fault with Mary because they thought that her act of worship was overly extravagant and maybe even reckless. Well, I used to be an onlooker at one point in my Christian experience. I would often see people who were in a place of worship, who did their acts of service and compassion uh, as acts of worship. But I had a kind of a head knowledge of Jesus. I knew doctrine. I knew theology. But I wasn't really a worshiper and someone who worshiped from the heart. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you believe that by them you have eternal life. But then Jesus went on to say to them, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me so that you can have life. I think I was a little bit like that throughout many years of my Christian experience. I went to church. I studied the Bible. I led Bible studies. I preached sermons. I showed up at church on Sunday morning. But I don't know that I had a heart of worship. I can now say by the grace of God that when I pick up the Bible today, I don't just see theology. I don't just read it for the truth that is in it, but I feel and sense that God through his Holy Spirit is speaking to me and drawing me deeper in my relationship with him. So how about you? I want to ask you, if you had been in the home of Simon the leper with Jesus and the guests, who would you have been? Well, it tells us in the passage that this took place, this dinner, two days before Jesus' crucifixion. And somebody once described this passage like an Oreo cookie. It starts and ends with two dark wafers. It begins with the religious leader's dark plot to kill Jesus. And it ends with the dark heart of Judas, who eventually betrays him. But in the middle of this story in Mark 14, we find the soft center of devotion where Mary does something that nobody expected. She doesn't just tip the alabaster jar slightly and put a drop on Jesus' head and feet. Mm -mm. She breaks open the neck of the bottle and she pours the entire contents, which was about half a liter, all over Jesus, on his head, on his feet, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. She holds nothing back. She gives the best that she has to give, and she gives it all. But it tells us in verse 4 and 5 that some of those present were offended because they saw that what she did was wasteful. Why this waste of this expensive perfume? This could have been given to the poor. Well, they thought of it as a waste of resources. Judas joined in with them and criticized her as well. But isn't it interesting 
how people who are self-righteous and smug in their spirituality are so quick to criticize those who know how to truly worship Jesus. They were hypocrites. Jesus said to them, well, not to these folks in this passage, but he said of people like them, the religious hypocrites and, and those who should have known better, he said, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you, hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. They teach as doctrine the precepts of men. So you see, when Judas and these chief priests and teachers of the law criticized Mary, they didn't really care about the poor. They were just grandstanding. They were being pretentious. And Jesus knew their hearts. And so we find in verses 6 to 8, Jesus says, leave her alone. Stop bothering her. What she has done has been excellent. She's done a beautiful thing to me. And it's interesting that Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing to me. That word beautiful in the Greek is the word kalos, which is K-A-L-O-S. And it actually means good, excellent, precious, admirable, or praiseworthy. What she did was excellent. Mary's critics could never understand what she did or why she did it. They didn't get it. The Bible tells us that those without the Spirit cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to them. They cannot understand them because these things are spiritually discerned. Mary was a woman who had the Spirit of God. But all these people had was religion. And their religion had no heart. They lacked genuine devotion for God and love for the Lord Jesus. Religious people are incapable of seeing the inner beauty of such actions. All they can do is find fault. Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. And Jesus was saying to them, pay attention. Because there's something happening here that is very important. Why would Jesus say something like that? You can always help the poor, but you don't always have me. I mean, wasn't Jesus the one that said he came to preach good news to the poor? Yes, but isn't Jesus trying to say to us that our compassion and our acts of service to those who are disenfranchised and vulnerable must come from a place of worship? Think about this. Mary is the same woman that we read about at the end of Luke chapter 10 where it says her sister Martha was rushing about doing the dishes and making the supper and all that when Jesus came to visit. And she was getting stressed out. And she was upset with her sister Mary because she was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him as he taught. And Jesus said of Mary, she has chosen what is better, Martha. Because Mary also knew how to serve. She was a woman of compassion. But everything that she did came from a heart of worship. Now, I don't know if Mary really understood the complete significance of what she did. But what matters is that she worshipped Jesus 
with reckless abandon. And it came from a heart of worship. Mary gave the best that she had to give, and she gave it all. So here's what I find most fascinating about Mary. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had undying love and devotion for the Lord Jesus. She was an example of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Her faith was simple, it was childlike, and she was led not by her head, but by her heart. And there was nothing transactional or calculating about the way she worshipped. She didn't look around wondering about what are people going to think of me? What does this look like? Well, then in verse 10, it says that Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Well, what a contrast between Judas and Mary. Poor Judas. I, I, I really see him as a, as a tragic, kind of pathetic figure in the story of Jesus. He was one of the twelve disciples, and yet he never really understood He did not really understand what it meant to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Three and a half years in close proximity, physical proximity to Jesus, but he never really got it. You can have physical proximity with Jesus and not be a disciple, a true disciple. You can be in physical proximity with God's people and come to church every Sunday and still not be a disciple. Judas's action led to Jesus' trial and execution, and Mary's action prepared him for burial. What Judas did when he betrayed Jesus came from a heart of ambition. The other came from a heart of devotion. And both would forever be remembered. Judas for his betrayal, and Mary for her devotion. And I've always wondered... Why did Judas betray Jesus? Because unlike the chief priests and the teachers of the law, Judas didn't hate Jesus. But he saw Jesus as a means to an end. He's probably like the other disciples and many people who follow Jesus who thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the mighty Roman Empire. And Judas thought that because he was in the inner circle of 12 that he would rule and reign with Jesus one day when he brought his kingdom on earth. But then when he realized that Jesus' kingdom was from somewhere else, that his kingdom was a heavenly kingdom and that it wasn't going to be established on earth, he became disillusioned and he had no more use for Jesus. So he thought he might as well profit from Jesus. So I want to ask you again, who are you in this story? Are you one of the enemies of Jesus, the chief priests, the teachers of the law? Well, even if you are, there's still hope for you. And God loves you. The Apostle Paul was once an enemy of Christ. And he became the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived. Or maybe you're one of the onlookers, like I was. They were kind of a mixed group as far as their opinion about Jesus. But one thing that bound these onlookers together was this. They were not worshipers. They did not worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. None of them had truly encountered the Lord in their spirit. They had head knowledge, but they didn't have heart knowledge. Or maybe you're like Judas. Judas didn't hate Jesus, but like many people today who go to church, 
They saw Jesus as a way to fulfill their dreams and ambitions to improve their life. Judas was a conflicted man. I think he really wanted to love Jesus the way that John, the disciple, did. But he loved mammon more. He loved money and possessions more. And Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Judas tried to do both, and he made the wrong choice. Or maybe you're like Mary. There was nothing duplicitous about Mary. She had single-minded devotion to Jesus. Her love for him went deep, and she did give the best that she had, and she gave it all. So why is this important for us today? And why is this story in the Bible? And what is it intended to teach us? Well, true worship is extravagant. And it's often impractical and might even appear to be wasteful. You see, our acts of service and compassion must spring from a place of worship. Worship always trumps compassion. Compassion without worship is just social service. Just dead works. So this matters because Jesus doesn't just look at the action. He looks at the heart behind the action. The spirit that prompted the action. Two people can do exactly the same thing but do it for two different motives. Mother Teresa is famously quoted as saying, it is not how much we do, but how much love we put in the doing. I pray that that would be true of us. So Mary's act of devotion when she poured this expensive perfume on Jesus' head and feet and wiped his feet with her hair, that was what we would call an acted out parable. And it's really saying that we need to pour ourselves out for Jesus. In our acts of service, and compassion, particularly during this COVID-19 pandemic, that what we do for others should come from a place of worship and pure devotion towards Jesus. So then it becomes an expression of worship. And we need to keep in mind that when we pour ourselves out for people, the way that Mary poured out this priceless perfume, we are, in fact, pouring ourselves out for Jesus. Remember he said, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you've done it for me. So I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this story? Will you be broken and spilled out for the sake of Jesus, particularly during this time when so many people are hurting and in distress? Last June, First, 2019, a number of leaders, church board, and pastoral staff got together and had a planning session on a Saturday. And we talked about the idea of connection versus isolation. Well, we're in a place right now where we're self-isolating. And it's interesting that in that conversation last June, Somebody in that meeting said this, and they made reference to this story about Mary that we read about in Mark chapter 14. They said the jar of perfume needs to be broken and spilled out, not isolated inside the jar. The whole point of the perfume 
is that it must be used and it must be used lavishly. The perfume is not doing its job when it just stays in the jar. We cannot just stay in the jar. Even in our self-isolation, we can still reach out. We have the means to do that today. We have telephones. We can have video conferencing. There are many, many ways that we can pour ourselves out for others. Jesus was God's only son. And he poured out his life and shed his blood on the cross for you and I. And he asks that we would do the same. So during this season of Lent, I want to ask you to examine your own heart before God, to reevaluate your priorities. What matters most? Who do you relate to most in this story? What is the condition of your heart before God? Do you have a heart of stone or a heart of flesh? What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you about yourself? And are you willing to be wasted for the sake of Jesus? I've been asking us to think about what it means to be the church at a time like this. What it means to be a Christ follower at a time like this. This woman, Mary of Bethany, is still remembered today because of her example of humility and her posture of worship. And it still inspires me today to give the very best that I have and to give it all. So how is God calling you to give today? What's in your jar that you can pour out for the sake of Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit asking you to be broken and spilled out for this week? Would you pray and ask the Lord who he's asking you to pour out your life for? God bless you all.